in areas. We've been studying the prayers of Paul. I just We've been going deeper and going into some areas where I feel God's just been uh, drawing us and He's been dealing with my heart about something. So I want to share a word with you tonight. And to start off with, how many of you have seen on TV, uh, maybe on Channel 5 News, uh, Governor uh, Jandel's uh, new thing that he calls uh, Believe in Louisiana? And I've got his, uh, his uh, vision report statement here. Believe in Louisiana. And he says, Believe in Louisiana is a newly organized, reform-minded group which is calling on every citizen of our great state to get involved. What it's about is it's ethic reforms, and we want to keep the momentum going and make sure that Louisiana, listen to this, makes a clean break with the past. How many agree with that? Makes a clean break with the past. And, uh, you know, I don't know everything, and, and I don't know what really is going on, but I do know that if you want to make a clean break from the past, especially with our state, and you're interested in no more of this uh, being, uh, being bought with football tickets and being pulled with money or position, but doing what you're supposed to be doing, I'm for it in Jesus' name. And he says, believe in Louisiana feels that elected leaders can send a powerful signal to citizens and to the entire nation. That business as usual is over in Louisiana. Business as usual is over in Louisiana. And then another part of it says, Our new group believes the people of Louisiana have high goals, and they know this is an important time in our history. Louisianans will rise to the challenge. It's time once again to believe in Louisiana. So hallelujah. Thank God for that vision, and thank God that we're believing God. That God is moving and, and bringing righteousness and justice to our state. And He's really got a heart to see things done right. And I want you to look with me in John chapter 17. And I shared this with you the other day uh, for, for uh, the offering. But I want to read this to you again. In, in John chapter 17, of verse 22, Jesus is praying for the church. And what I want you to see here. He says, I'm praying for every citizen to join in because we want a Louisiana we can believe in. Well, how many of you know the church should have already been there? The church in Louisiana, we should have been already been operating as Christ desires us to be operating. And Louisiana has been known for moral failures in the church. Louisiana, central Louisiana, has been known for thievery and, 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 and moral failures and many other things. But how many of you know that it has changed and it is changing? And we want to join in. Uh, really, we desire the government to join in with the church that we are going to see a new Louisiana and judgment starts in the house of God. And so we want to uh, take the word and we want to be able to say it's time for the real church of Jesus Christ to arise. And it's time for the church to be who the church is supposed to be. Amen. It's time for the church to be who it's supposed to be in every area. And Jesus prayed this in John 17, 22. It says, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they experience such perfect unity. Say that with me again. Perfect unity. Perfect unity. Why? Listen to this. That the world will know. That you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me, that the world may know. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am, 
Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. I love the message translation that says, so they'll be as unified and together as we are. I and them and you and me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence. How many of you know we want the world wherever you work, wherever you study, wherever you live, the neighborhood you live in, your family to be able to see the true evidence that we are truly the sons and the daughters of the Most High God. That we're not fake, we're not putting on a mask, but we're the real thing. And Paul did pray a special prayer uh, in Second Thessalonians. And we didn't get to this one, but I do want to read it to you tonight. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And I want you to see what he prays here. And it's more or less on this same line. In Second Thessalonians chapter 1. We want to be t- we're going to be talking about discipleship. We're going to be talking about growing and maturing in, in who we're called and we're supposed to be. The model of the real church, how the church is supposed to be, how we're supposed to be unified in, and, you know, committed believers. And that's the thing that's so important. Uh, as we heard, uh, Brother Bill was talking about divorce. And, of course, you know, uh, some instances, you know, people couldn't help it, and we we, we don't judge and uh, about divorce, and and we know that God hates divorce, but we also know that sometimes there's been people, you know, people here you have not been able to to uh, change the way things were. But one of the things that is happening in America today is the lack of commitment, and I hear it from pastors and ministers, work people, business people all over the United States is is the lack of commitment, the lack of staying in there. Even when you may not be in total agreement, the lack of staying in there and saying, you know, I'm part of the body and I'm not changing positions. I I, I see what the word of God says. so I want to stay with what the word of God says. And I believe that this is what Paul was praying here in Second Thessalonians one, verse 11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified, where? In you. And you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know that He's talking about the glory of God being manifested in you? How many of you know you are here to make a difference? Look at your neighbor and say, you are here to make a difference. Each and every one of you, I don't care where your background comes from. I don't know where you've been, what you what what has happened to you. You are here to make a difference. And there are two types of people uh, in this world. And there are those who are like chameleons. They just blend in to the world. But then there are those who wants to stand out and represent Christ, that the world may see that there is truly a church and that we are different. We're not conformed to this world, but we are and have been transformed by the renewing of our mind. And one of the things about it is, is that the Lord wants you to stand out, each and every one of you. He wants your marriage to stand out, your children to stand out, your health, your happiness, your joy to stand out. He wants your victory to stand out because He said that you can, you're more than a conqueror in this world. So he wants your life to stand out. And you may be confronting some things right now. But the Spirit of God is coming upon you so that you stand out as a testimony that the greater one is in the inside of you. Now, there's something you've got to see as we study this, that God wants to be glorified by the Christ in you. Paul also said Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, you know, I pray and I'm right with you where I want to be like Christ. How many wants to be like Jesus? We want to be like Jesus. But, but let me remind you of something. 
We want to be like Jesus. But at the same time, I want to remind you that Christ, the seed, the DNA of, of the deity, the divine nature of God, is already in you. And so we are meditating wanting to be like Jesus, but you've got to understand, too, that God sees the seed of Christ in you, and He's the master potter. And He sees something in you that you don't even see yourself. It's kind of like Michelangelo when he did David or, any, or some of his other sculptors. He would walk around and he would see a piece of marble or a stone, and he would see, people would see a stone. He saw David in the stone. He would sometimes get a piece of marble or a slab, and they say that he would walk around that piece of marble day after day talking to himself. And he would walk around that piece of stone. And somebody might have had that stone in, his, in their yard. You know, it might have been a rock. And who knows what dogs might have been doing on that rock. It might just have been an old rock in the yard and people saying, you know, that's just no rock. And Michelangelo comes along and says, can, can I have that piece of rock in your yard? Oh, yeah, that rock's just there for the dogs. You know, they just go around that rock. And Michelangelo might have got that rock that they thought was nothing and bring it and start chiseling away. And he saw something in there that nobody else saw. And then when it got all through, they'd go and, and they'd go, wow, I want my rock back. Five hundred dollars, please. No, but I gave you the rock. It don't matter. I made something out of it. When you couldn't see nothing, I saw one of the most marvelous works there is. And that's what Christ in you is. The most marvelous work of God. The Bible says, can the, pot, can the clay argue with the potter? What are you making? Or you don't know what you're making. How many of you know, if you've watched it on TV a few times, artists are real funny people. And when you, get, when you get around real artists, I mean not watercolor artists, but you get around real artists and you go up to them and you see this on TV and you go, uh, say, Johnny, here's an artist. And they go, Johnny, Johnny's painting. Johnny, I want to see your work. He goes, oh, no, you can't see it now. Why? It's not finished. But I want to see it. How I many of some of them artists get mean? I'm not saying Johnny's mean, maybe. But, but an artist, an artist who get mean says, no, 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 you cannot see the work. Why? Because I don't want you to judge what I'm doing. I don't want you to jump conclusions that it's a horse when it's really going to be a dog. But I see already on this paper what I'm, going to, what I'm making, whether you see it or not. I know what's in my heart. And that's exactly how the potter says. I know what's in my heart when it comes to Jim. I know what's in my heart when it comes to Kathy. I know what's in my heart when it comes to Bob. And I'm not making another Bob. I'm only making one Bob Weeders. And when it comes to Bob, I know what's in my heart. And Bob doesn't know yet everything that I'm going to make out of Bob, but i got great plans for Bob. It wasn't an accident that Bob pulled in this parking lot, was searching for more, and I brought him on a journey like he never even dreamed of. But Bob, you haven't even started all the journey. There's a lot more coming. Why? Because God seats Christ in every one of you. And so you get discouraged and you say, that's why you can't compare yourself to be somebody else or with somebody else or I want to be like somebody else because God sees what He wants to make in each and every one of you that the world may experience the church of Jesus Christ in each and every one in particular. So you got to realize that God sees Christ in you and He's making conform to His heart what He sees you to be so that you can just reveal His glory to this world. And that's what Paul is saying here. Amen. So that we can become what God planned us to be, uh, strong, His workmanship, and uh, things in his, of His work that will change us from being ordinary to the unique person we're called to be. Now look with me in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. 
Verse 31. Matthew 13, verse 31. Aren't you glad he sees something great in you? Amen. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, here is another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of plants and grows into a tree. The birds come and make their nest in its branches. What is he saying? He's saying there's potential in that seed. How many know there's potential in you? Amen. I want to give you the definition of the word potential. Are you ready to write this down? Because when we speak of potential, we're speaking of you. No matter what you come from, no matter where you've been, I want you to write this down. The word potential means unexposed, unexposed, unable to see ability. Unexposed ability. You might, you may be like a film in a camera, the, the, the old cameras, not these new ones, but the old cameras, where it may be a roll of film, and until it's exposed, what's, what's been taken is not manifested or seen yet, but that doesn't mean it, the photo is not in there. And what Christ is inside of you, and what, what God, the pod, Master Potter wants to make out of you, is inside of you, and He is going to expose that. But the word potential means unexposed ability. It also means reserved power. What is in that seed, the smallest of seeds, the smallest of people, the weakest of people, is reserved power. It's also undiscovered strength. Undiscovered strength. Well, Pastor, I don't think I can do that. Wait a minute. There's potential. There's undiscovered strength in you that is able to cause you to stand and keep standing when you say you cannot. There's undiscovered strength even in the midst of your battle. Undiscovered abilities. Write that down. The word potential means undiscovered abilities. Undiscovered abilities. The word potential, unused successes. Unused success. The word potential, dormant gifts. Dormant gifts, gifts that hasn't even been manifested yet or gifts that you might have had and you, you, you've gone through some things and it seems like you stagnated a little bit in your spiritual walk. But those gifts are still inside of you because he gave them to you and gifts that you haven't even tapped into yet are still on the inside of you. Hidden talents, hidden talents and living power, hidden talents and hidden power. There's hidden power inside of you. Amen. There's hidden power inside of you. There's unused strength inside of you. You've got to believe that. Say, I believe it. I believe it. Listen to this now. I'm just going to read this to you. More definition of potential, but it's too much for you to write. But listen to this, and you can get the CD or listen to it on the computer. Potential is what we are able to do, but have yet to accomplish. It's the place we can reach. But have not yet arrived. It's who we can become. But have yet to be. It's known as purpose. Grace. Talent. Ministry. And function. It's who we can be. But we have not yet become. 
There's people in here tonight. and There's people who are back there and there's people uh, of this body that have not yet become who they're going to be. And even before, the, in just the, the next weeks, even the next day or so, maybe in the next weeks or months, months, you're getting ready to see somebody you didn't even know. You never knew you could pray like you're getting ready to start praying. You'll find out you know more word or there's more word in your heart that you didn't know you had. And you know, you take David. His own daddy didn't believe that he had the potential to be Israel's next king. His brothers, you can read in 1 Samuel chapter 17, his brothers didn't believe that he had the potential to kill the giant. You can read even there in 1 Samuel chapter 17, I believe it's verse 33. Even the king Saul didn't believe that that little boy David had the potential to kill the giant. Nobody believed he had the potential to be a warrior, the potential to be the next king, the potential to be a giant slayer. But God knew that he had put a seed in David to have the potential and the unused strength and the, uh, uh, the, the success and the power and the might and the ability that he didn't even tap into. God knew it was inside of him. But listen to me, church. All that potential was in that little boy. And nobody, his daddy, his brothers, the king, nobody could see it in him but God. But it took a giant for it to be revealed. And whatever you're going through right now, whatever we will go through it, because we will go through it. You've got to realize the hardest the devil tries to hit you is just to reveal the potential of Christ inside of you so that Jesus would be glorified through your victory. That's the potential Christ in you, the hope of glory. The devil says, oh, I'm going to hit her with my right. And she gets back up and says, take another shot. The devil comes and hits him. Where did you ever say, where did that come from? But you lived through it. You've been through death. You've been through persecution. You've been through hardships. And what the devil thought would knock you out. Just made you better than you ever were. Brought out a potential to shout, to pray, to dance, to read the word. Devil, you thought I'd give up? I just got hungrier. You thought I got weaker? I just got stronger. It took a giant to come. When nobody else believed that I could be who I'm going to be, that giant, that demon, that devil, that offense, that temptation, that trial just brought out the ability that I didn't even know I was there. I didn't know I had the ability to kill a giant. But you know what? I arose and killed the giant and I just made others see that they had the potential to kill more giants and we ended up being a people of giant killers. And when nobody believed... God, I love you because you believed in me. Because you are making me who you want me to be. So you got to realize that there's that potential in you so that God could get the glory. Look with me in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. It took a giant to start David on his way to be king. Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed bearing plant and trees that grow seed bearing fruit. Now, listen to this. These seeds will then produce 
the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. These seeds will produce the type of trees from which they came. And this is what happened. The land produced all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit, and their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And when we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about being like Christ and Christ being formed within us. God spoke to the oceans and the fish multiplied and the whales and the sea creatures became out of the sea. And He spoke on the land and the animals were made from the dirt and they became every animal after its kind. But when He made man, He, said, he didn't speak to the dirt. He didn't speak to the water. He said, let's make man in our, after our image. And just like Eve came out of the side of, of Adam, we came out of the heart of God. And we are like the one who made us. A giraffe is in the image of a giraffe, but you are in the image of God. You are in the image of God. And when we have these children who are lent to us by the Lord, they are after the, not, they're not after our image. They're after the image of God. Because we came, whose image did we come after? The image of God. And so every seed produces after its kind. Now look at me in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 24. Whose seed is in itself. When you receive Christ, you receive the seed of all the potential of heaven. John chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus is teaching here. And we're going to be getting a lot into the teaching of Christ because we're... Whose disciples are you? Christ. So we're going to be studying a lot of Christ messages now. Look at this. Verse 24. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil, born again, and the second step, and dies, death, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels. A plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Amen. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. How many know one of the things you've got to find out first about discipleship, how many know that there's a death to, be, to, 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 to die? Die to ourselves. Die to our dreams. Die, die to our hopes so that we can live unto Him. A, a disciple is one who is daily crucifying his flesh so that God can be uh, released. And look with me in, also in John chapter 15, verse 5. John 15, verse 5. Dying to ourselves daily, to our pleasures, to what we want, so that we can yield to what He wants. John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. How I many know oh, Jesus is always looking for fruit? Amen. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, when it says me, that's the word for omnipotent. God is omnipotent. The word omni means full of. And the word potent means power and reserve, which means that God is always has the power and reserve to do whatever needs to be done. He's the source, 
So to know God intimately and abide in Him is to receive all the life and the source that we need to live His life. Now look with me quickly in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 verse 11. It says in Ephesians 4, verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity, there's that word again, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Amen? If you take your notes, that word perfection there, I won't give you the Greek word, it's real long, but the word perfection there means that he, that means to prepare and train and equip. It means to prepare, to train and to equip. It means to develop the purpose for which you were created. To develop the purpose for which you were created. To develop the purpose for which you were created. Now, as we get into this and we, and we study on discipleship, you know, how many of you know Brother Bill taught us? And we've, of course, you know that we're, we're three, we're a triune person. We're spirit, soul, and body. Amen. We've got to learn that when we get into discipleship and we're going to learn to die to ourselves and we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in our lives, we've got to be committed to be a disciple of Christ. We've got to learn to be committed with our minds. We've got to be committed with our soul, which is our minds, our hearts, our wills, and our emotion. If we're going to be a disciple, we've got to be committed with our hearts, our minds, our emotions. And we've got to be committed with our bodies. And we've got to be committed with our spirits. Why am I saying all this? It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God has equipped the church with the fivefold ministry. For the perfection of the saints, for the work of the ministry to become perfect men, perfect women. And it talks here about becoming the, to become the, and uh, grow into the potential that you were created to be. Now, if we're going to be a disciple, and the problem is, is that there is such an independent spirit in the world, but especially in America, that saints don't have to be committed to anything or anybody. We can just be free to jump around and do Whatever we want to do. And there has to come a time in the body of Christ. We have been so spoiled in our prosperity of America. That we are so fancy free. I don't need anybody. And when you hear people say, I'm just going to have church at home. They're in error. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. You can just knock. Write this down. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, if we're going to walk in discipleship, church, if we're going to be the church that we're supposed to be, God is calling on us for a commitment to be committed Know our place, stay in our place, and, and be committed to the church 
and the leadership God has called us to be. You say, you say, prove that to me. Okay, look with me in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Because I believe, I know, I know that I know, we're not seeing more miracles and there's not more glory manifested in the church because there's not more unity. There's the attitude, well, I'll just get up and I'll just change my membership somewhere else. Well, if God leads you that way, hallelujah. Listen, I, I, I'm, when people come and they tell me they're leaving, 98% of the time, I bless them. I say, well, praise God. I'm, I'm for you. are going. I'm with you. And I, and I bless you. God's telling you to go. You don't belong to me. But if God's brought you here, there needs to be a commitment of your heart. There has to be a commitment of your mind. There has to be a commitment. The Bible says give double honor. And I want you to see here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Listen to this scripture. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. And they are accountable to God. Listen to this now. Give them reason to do this with joy, not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. As we get into this area of discipleship, as we get into this area of growing into who Christ wants us to be, and we're going to be studying the, the teachings of Christ in this area. But before we even start, we've got, to, we, we've got to realize something, church. The church in America is going to have to change from being fancy free. And we are all one body. But where, who is your pastor? Who is your spiritual covering? What, where is your church? We all belong one to another. But you brought into a body to be disciplined. To be taught and to be raised in the admonition of the Lord. And it says here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, that I, as pastor, I'm going to give an account for watching over your souls. And the Word of God says, you've got to make my job joyful. The Word of God says, Make it easy on the poor little dude. (laughs) The Word of God says that one day Russell Cobb is going to stand before God. And he said, Russell, was Jim Massey in your church? Yes, sir. And he was such a joy. Well, you did a real good job. You prayed for him and you stood by him and you were there when they needed you. But how about sister so-and-so? How about brother so-and-so? Oh, God. Oh, uh, oh, they made me pray. Oh, they made me die to my flesh. I could never count on them. I couldn't believe them. They were never there when I needed them. But Lord, I covered them as long as I could. Then one day they disappeared. And you know, I'm thankful when people come and they tell me they're leaving. Because I bless them and there's still a relationship there. But when people leave the church and they don't tell you they're leaving, you know, that, that's just like a teenager climbing out of a window and running away. Because there's supposed to be accountability in the body of Christ. And there have been people who've left that 
I was like Noah's two sons that I walked backwards and I covered them and didn't, didn't discipline them, didn't publicly humiliate them, even though I could have because of certain things. But I covered them instead of being like the one who said, let me tell you what this one did and that and the other. I covered them. And when they leave, because they choose to leave, and they don't ask for the pastor's blessing, I've been praying for their soul and I've been watching over them and I've been accountable for them. But when they leave, they're leaving in error and they're leaving in rebellion. And it hurts the unity and it hurts the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm not complaining of losing members. I'm saying there's got to be more accountability in the body of Christ. We belong to one another. And just like you're submitted to me, I'm also submitted to you because we're submitted to one another. But if you study that word submit there, it means to lead and to guide through the word of God. And, and the body of Christ in America, we are not going to beat homosexuality. We are not going to beat principalities and powers. We are not going to defeat liberalism. We're not going to take the seven mountains until we can learn to walk in unity and be held in accountability. Because it says it very clearly that you have to submit to the spiritual leadership. And so there's, there's a law here that we need to understand that, that we, be, we belong to one another, but we belong to the body of Christ. And, and we've got to stand by one another. Now, how many of you know, I don't lord over you. I don't tell you, no, you can't buy that. You can't go there. I even had something in my heart about someone uh, going on a trip. And, and, I, and I told uh, uh, another pastor here in the church, I told him that, that my heart was heavy and I didn't have a peace about it. And I prayed last night. I went home and told my wife, I prayed, I prayed. And God spoke to him today. Now, that's a joy for me. They heard from God and they, they did what I knew in my heart they were supposed to do. But I didn't tell them they couldn't go. I just told them, I'm going to pray. And I prayed like everything. And God spoke to them. And that, that's what we want to do. We've got to be under a covering. Brother Bill taught us that you get out from under covering, the enemy can hit you with darts. We've got to be under the covering of the local church. Amen. So we see here that we need to commit and submit because God will give us favor. Now, look at me quickly in Isaiah chapter 61. And I just want to give you a few more things here tonight. Because this is something that's real heavy on my heart. And, and that's why I'm bringing it to your attention. Everybody here, you're a core people. You're faithful people. You're here. Uh, most of y'all are here on Tuesday nights, even intercession. You're here on Wednesday nights, Sunday morning, Sunday nights, and uh, su- such faithful people. But, but I just want to remind you what the Word of God says, that if, if we're going to be investing in you, you need to be committed in your mind and in your emotions and in your heart. Amen. Now, it says in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, and the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim the captives will be released, and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against the enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes and joyous blessings instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. Now, look at this. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his glory. 
Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop there because I was going to read some more scriptures. But I read this poem for Father's Day, and it said this. Like watching a seedling grow into a sturdy oak, so it is with my son. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because Deuteronomy says very clearly, Deuteronomy says in uh, chapter 20, verse 19, you can just write that down, Deuteronomy 20, verse 19, that the tree represents the life of a man. Write that down. The tree represents the life of a man. And, and right quick, I want, you, I want to explain part of the tree and we, we'll get into it later. But the leaves and the fruit of the tree represents the results of our life, our actions and our thoughts. Write this down. Leaves and fruit, because Jesus is looking for fruit. In fact, we're going to read the scripture that says, if you don't bear fruit, I'm going to pluck you up. I'm going to cast you in the fire. So he's looking for fruit. And fruit is built on a tree of character. So write this down. Leaves and fruit of the tree represent the results of our life, actions, and thoughts. Leaves and fruits of the tree represents the results of our life, our actions, and our thoughts. Now write this down. The trunk. The trunk of the tree. The trunk of the tree represents character. The trunk of the tree represents character. And in this, we're going to see the Lord speaks much about our lives compared to a tree. But the trunk of the tree represents character. And the roots represents our attitudes of life. The roots of the tree represents our attitude of life. Now, I want you to look with me a few scriptures tonight before we close in Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1. I shared with you last week when I was teaching on the prayers of Paul that Jesus didn't say go into the world and make converts. He said go into the world and make disciples. And I believe that we have come into our eighth year and I know that the Lord spoke to me last year that this is going to be a year of maturity. This is going to be a year of growth. And then he brought me into this area where it's going to be a year of, of being disciples of Jesus Christ and being sold out, committed saints. Being who we're supposed to be and reach our potential. But it's going to take a commitment on each one of our, our, ourselves to be that tree, the planting of the Lord. Now look at this in Psalms chapter 1 verse 3. It says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers. I want you to underline that word rivers. More than one. Rivers of water. That brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. It says, he shall be like a tree planted. Do you know what that word planted means? It means you're not a wild tree or a tree that just happens to be there. It means you're planted there by God, the owner himself. You're planted. You're not a wild tree. You're a tree that has been planted there by the rivers. And that word rivers means you get your nourishment, whether the river can be the river of the anointing, a river of joy, river of peace, uh, whatever you may need, the river of the word of God. There are many rivers that will nourish you there, but you've got to understand that you're not a wild tree. You're a planted one. And that means that you are a chosen one. Write that down. You are chosen by God. Each and every one of you, you are chosen by God. But you can't be a wild tree. You've got to be a planted tree. You're chosen. That word planted means considered as his own property. 
That word planted there means considered God's own property. And why all this is so important also is that word planted means cultivated. How many of you know a wild tree cannot be cultivated? But a tree that is planted will be cultivated. It will be watered. And he says that the tree that, that's surrendered to me, the tree that is in my orchard, the tree that is mine, I'll, I'll water it, I'll fertilize it, I'll cultivate it, I'll, I'll make sure it's getting plenty of air, I'll take care of it, and it's the type of tree that's going to have leaves and fruit all year round, and its, its leaves won't even wither. Why? Because it's so surrendered to me, and it's next to the rivers of, of what I can supply it with and what I can give it. It, it will be that tree that brings me glory. Now, it says in Matthew fifteen thirteen that the tree that does not bear fruit will be thrown away, will be thrown into the fire. Matthew fifteen thirteen. Look with me, though, in Psalm, Psalms 52. You can read Matthew fifteen thirteen later. But I want to get as far as I can right here. Matthew 52, verse 8. Yeah, Psalms 52, verse 8. Thank you, babe. Psalms 52, verse 8. Psalm 52, verse 8. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. You see, that's not a wild tree. That's a planted tree. I am a green olive tree, speaks of an anointing. That you don't only receive nourishment from the water of the Word, you receive nourishment from the anointing oil of God. I, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in your presence of your saints, I will wait on your name, for it is good. I don't only draw oil, but I also draw oil. My place is near my God. Now, if you're taking notes, that green olive tree speaks of the prophetic. It speaks of being able to hear and being led by God. It speaks about long-lasting fruit. It speaks of being full of Jesus. Now, quickly look with me in Psalms 92. Psalms chapter 92, verse 12. Psalms 92, verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted... In the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. You see that they're planted and they're nourished by God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write what the palm tree represents. And, and this is real interesting. So I want to give you this, and I know I've got to end. I've already gone past my time. But this is God's desire, and this, this ought to encourage everybody. The palm tree has 360 uses. There's 360 uses for the palm tree. And God wants our life to represent the palm tree, that there is hundreds of uses for your life. When you've been planted by the Lord. But listen to this. You know what, uh, Brother Ray, I love about the palm tree? It gets better with age. In fact, the closer it gets to 100 years old, the more fruit it produces. And so instead of 
being a wall tree and just jumping from place to place and just doing my own thing and not worrying about being under a covering. When I'm planted in the house of God, when I'm in the place where I need to be, I'll flourish. And in fact, the longer I'm there and the more committed I am and the more that I do for the glory of God, the more useful I become. The more anointing I flow in and the more things I can do. And the longer I'm there, the more I'm able to do for the glory of God. The palm tree. 360 uses. Gets better with age. Hallelujah. How many angels received that? The palm tree represents the life. It grows in sand. But the sand doesn't nourish it. it just, nourishment comes from the water. But even in the dry, barren place, it can survive. The palm tree speaks of the lives of Joseph and of Daniel. That even in the midst of Egypt or Babylon, even in the midst of the world, I'm going to be useful for the glory of God. And I will continue to grow and be nourishing even when the world surrounding me is trying to pull me down and bear me down. And let me give you the uh, cedar tree. The cedar tree... Speaks of honor. But this is the thing about any type of tree. You need to write this down. When you study trees in the Hebrew, the branches honor the roots. The branches honor the roots. If my branches are strong and full, and they're full of leaves and fruit, it's because I have a good root system. Now, if you look at our, our, our land right here, those trees may look good, and in springtime and summertime, they're full of leaves. But if you go look at them, most of those trees are rotted. And I can put my arm all the way through that tree because there's hole from one end to the other. Those trees look good, but they're not good and they're not strong. When the character is not what it's supposed to be, when we're not living the life we're supposed to live, and we don't have the right root system, and we're not pulling the nutrients, and we're not pulling from the Word and the anointing and, and, and the ministry, when we're not pulling from the leadership of God, when we're not growing in the place where God has brought us to be, the leaves are, are going to wither and the leaves are going to fall. We've got to be where we're planted so that we can receive those nourishments and so that the limbs, the branches, the foliage, the, the leaves, the, the, the uh, fruit, Gives honor to the root system. I, you can tell when somebody's praying. You can tell by their fruit. You can tell when somebody's faithful to church. You can tell by their fruit. You can tell when someone has lived their life, trained their children, have lived their life before their children. You can tell when those are living their life like they're supposed to. You better tell because of the fruit. The branches are honored by the root system. And for us to be the disciples of Christ Jesus, he, he wants us to have the right root system so that we are able to bear up in the midst of Babylon, Egypt, whatever it may be. We will be that tree standing by the rivers of living water that bears its fruit in season and out of season. And that's what discipleship is all about, being that strong tree for the glory of God. Look at me in Psalms 104. Psalms 104, verse 16. Psalms 104, verse 16 says, The trees of the Lord. The trees of who? Do you see we're going more and more? We see about the trees represent the life. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. Or in other words, they're full of Christ and they're full of His anointing. The cedars of Lebanon, which He 
planted. There you go again. There you go again. Who planted the lives where they are? The Lord did. Do you see this over and over in the Word of God? The planning of the Lord that He may be glorified? Where the birds make their nest and the stark has her home in the fir trees. And it goes on to talk about the other animals here. But here it's talking about well-supplied, watered trees flowing with life. Now, I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 11. I'll try to bring this to a close here. Proverbs chapter 11, look at verse 28. Now, we start off talking about how the Lord wants us to be unified. He wants us to be strong because He wants to receive the glory from our lives. And this says it here. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the foliage. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, but the fool will be the servant to the wise of heart. Look at verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. What it's saying here, how many of you know Eve was tempted to take the apple from the serpent because she wanted to eat from the tree of life? She wanted to become what the devil, what they already were, but he tricked them into believing that if they eat this fruit, they would become what they wanted to be. But really, the truth is, they, were, they just became what they already were. We have become the trees of life. So that people can eat from our fruit and gain a knowledge of good and evil. And that our lives are the example of what good and evil is. So we are now the trees of life. We are the influences on this earth. We're the trees of knowledge and we're not forbidden, but we're called to be useful with men. In fact, some translation says that we are the original tree. We are like the original trees planted in Eden. God is making us to be his original dream for mankind. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, look at chapter 12. I'm almost through here. Chapter 12, verse 3. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Do you see that? The root of the righteous cannot be moved. Speaks about strength and stability. That's what God wants to make in our lives. Jump down to verse 12. The wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. Hallelujah. We can't be shaken in evil, even in evil tidings, Psalms 112 says. Amen. Now, in Jeremiah, we, we won't turn there, but Jeremiah, just write this down. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says that you are a choice tree, comforted, secure. That ver- those two verses speaks of peace of mind, fruitfulness, and holiness. Now, as you know, Romans 1.20 says that God uses natural things to speak spiritual precepts to us. And so I'll go ahead and end in Matthew chapter 7. Look at Matthew chapter 7 with me. And I'll finish with this scripture here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. 
But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, in this day of age where people are going itching ears after those who will tell them what they want to hear, this is a time where the very elect will be deceived. I believe more and more, we as children of the Most High God, we've got to understand the tree represents the life and we've got to make sure that we are working on our root system so that our trunk, our character of life, our, our commitment, our responsibilities, our wholeheartedness, not only that, but when we come into a service, we ought to come into service hungry. We ought to get ready for church hungry and ready, ready to get here and say, Holy Spirit, I know you're going to move here because you are maturing this body. You, you have pruned and you are pruning the body so that we can be the planning of the Lord that he may be glorified. You need to, you need to be so hungry that when you come to church, it, it's not about who I, I, it's not even about who I can talk to. It's about how much I want to receive. Because when you come, you're going to receive a lot of the Word of God. But listen, just like I'm accountable over your souls, you are accountable about how much pull you pull and put on the anointing. How hungry are you? Are are we coming to church just to sit here? Are we coming to church expecting? Every time I come, I want something to come to my root system. Because listen, you can be a tree that continues to get better with time, or you can become a tree that grows rotten. And is useless with time. Decision is up to me whether I want to be a tree that bears good fruit. And if I want to have fruit. Or I want to be a tree that bears bad fruit. Every tree you know them by the fruit that they bear. You hear someone gossiping. You hear somebody criticizing. You ought to know right there. That's bad fruit. Their fruit is criticism. Judgmentalness. Their fruit is is envy, strife, what, uh, jealousy, hate, anger, whatever it may be. There, if, 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 that, if I hear that type of fruit, can you imagine what their root system is like? I'll tell you what it's like right now. If their fruit's bad, it's because they're planted by a sewer and not planted by the river. The grass may grow greener over the sewer, but you know why. The trees may look healthier by the sewer, but you know why. But there has been some things I've seen planted by the sewer that I wouldn't eat. I have trouble eating tomatoes that's planted by the sewer. But I don't have any trouble eating tomatoes that's planted by the clear water. And so whatever my root system has tapped into, I'm going to bear fruit accordingly. And if I am, if I, if my root system is in the Word and in prayer and in study and in the Spirit of God, I'm going to smell it. Some, it may look good, but something don't smell right. That's, that's too pretty of a tomato to be, to be healthy. Something's wrong there. Whatever, I'm going to listen, I'm going to look, and I'm going to smell. Because the Word of God says, you judge every tree. Every tree by its fruit. When that fruit 
doesn't sound, look, or smell like the fragrance of Christ, I'm going to stay away from it. And I'm not going to partake of it. Because you know what happened to Adam and Eve when they partook of the wrong fruit? They fell. They died spiritually. They were separated from God. In this hour, I'm telling you, God is calling this church to a deeper walk in the Spirit. God is calling each and every one of us to a deeper step of accountability and growing in the things of the Spirit, growing in the things of God. Now, I've, I've been saved since 1969. I grew up through the, the uh, charismatic movement in the uh, 70s and the 80s where everyone was fancy free and everybody could just do whatever they wanted to and say whatever they wanted to say and, 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 and just, just start their own ministry. And they were encouraged to start their own ministry. And I don't even have to ask pastor and I can just do what I want to do. But that movement came and went and died because it wasn't done under the accountability and the structure and the alignment of God. And if we're going to move as a body, we're going to have to be aligned as a body. And so Paul prays, may you speak the same thing. May you believe the same thing. May you move the same way. May you be as one even as Christ was one with the Father. And I believe God is calling the church today in this hour for the world to be able to say, see, because it's time. Because you know in this area, you know all the, all the divisions. You know all the fightings. You know the churches that are separated and divided and all that. It's time that pastors behind the pulpit, not just this church, but every church, it's time to start make disciple, make disciples out of the sheep so that there's not all this playing chess and, well, I'll give you this one if you give me that one and I'm, I lost two, but I've gained three. It's time that we become committed and we become interwinded and a three-ply cord is not easily broken so that the world can say, you know, they've been coming to church here for 24 years. They've been coming to this church for 28 years and they are such a joy and they have been involved in so many ministries. I want to be able to say that 20 years from now of those who have stayed and those who have been faithful because God planted them here and God wants to use them here. Because this is not the church of Russell Cobb. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And he says, I will build my church. The problem is, we, we, we have not been studying the type of church he wants to build. But he knows the type of church he wants to build. And it was going to be a strong, solid, and a fruitful church. Now, I know a lot of people say they know my human side. A lot of people, I've been judged for being too happy. For, yeah, for having too much fun, for joking too much. And, and, and I've, I've, I, it's, I'm sad to say I've stopped a lot, of, a lot of that because people have lost respect for me. Because I believe in having a good time. Clean good time. But I read this in my leadership manual this week. And listen to this. A big test for you will be to see how you respond to a leader's humanity. If you judge him for being imperfect, then you are not mature enough to move into leadership yourself. If you judge him for being imperfect, you are not mature enough to move up into leadership or in responsibility. I'm not here to be judged by you. I'm here to be loved. Because the Word of God says... And, and I hate preaching myself, but the Word of God says, I am a gift to you like you are a gift to me. So you need to love me. You need to respect me. You need to accept me. And when you see humanity in me, 
You pray for me. You love me. But don't judge me. Because I am the pastor and the authority of the church. I'm the apostle of this church. I have been put here by God himself. Not by man, but by God. So, so you need to realize that God is bringing order into word of grace. And he is wanting to build the type of church he has always desired. Where if someone asks you about me or one of the other brothers and sisters here, you have nothing but good to say about them. And ask me about you. I have nothing but good to say about you because I'm going to watch you back and you're going to watch mine. And we're going to be an army. And we're going to be united. And we're going to fight. And we're going to win. Amen. Go ahead and stand up. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Now I know you're saying, boy, that was different. Well, it's about time it's different. You know, eight years I've preached to encourage and preached to lift up. And it seems like super one sometimes. People coming and going, coming and going. Guess what? We're going to close the doors. We're going to close the doors. We're going to start growing on strong, healthy, mature, established trees of righteousness. This church is going to be turned into the Garden of Eden. Where nobody's going to say, well, where's so-and-so? Oh, they're right over there. Was so-and-so still coming? Oh, yeah, they're still here. Why? Because God is going to build His church. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Father, I praise You for these people. I praise You for each and every one of them. I praise You for those who are not here tonight. I thank You, Lord, that even this message will go out in the spirit realm. And I thank You, Lord, that even as we've rededicated this property and this land with Brother Bill and Sister Janet, as, Lord, we broke things and we're going into this new season where it's going to be a season of fruit. Where there is going to just be so bountiful with fruit in this building, in this church, in this ministry, in these people's lives, that everyone's going to be able to see. They have to be serving God the right way. They've got, they have to be, being, they must be being taught the right way. They must be praying and studying the right way. So Father, I praise you that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not and cannot prevail against it. I bless your people and I thank you for them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. I love you. I bless you. See you Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, Sunday school, 1030, regular service. We love you. We bless you. If you need prayer, we'll be here to pray with you. Love you and God bless you.